0: Hello and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast, where we share hot tips on how to do life and business without losing your mind. I'm your host, Savita Nanjapa, entrepreneur, high-achieving 9-to-5-er turned transformational success coach, helping you create a wildly successful business. Come hang out with me and other fabulous humans like you every week for stories and chats packed with a healthy dose of tips, resources, how-tos, and real talk. Side effects may include a happier and more confident you with each passing day. Hi and welcome to the Success with Savita podcast. I'm very excited about our episode today. This episode is special because we're bringing on our first male guest. If you've noticed, if you've been a regular listener of the podcast, you may have observed that we have only been bringing on women guests, but that's about a change. It was never the intention to have only women guests. It just started out, we reached out to so many women and we went with the flow with all the guests confirmations that we were getting. But it was time to bring on the men and I'm very excited to bring our first male guest today, Gautam Bed. There's also another first. Today I'm going to be doing the interview alongside my intern, Aljin. We've never had two interviewers. I may have had two guests on the podcast but I've not had two people doing the interview with our guests. So I'm Hoping that you enjoy this episode, it's been an interesting one for us, for sure, for me for sure, since I've been the solo interviewer on this podcast for a long time now. With that, I'd like to introduce our guest for today's episode, Gautam Beth. He's the founder of Stellar Wealth Partners, a semi-registered research analyst firm and small case manager for investors. In the Indian stock market. He is also the author of the International Bestseller on Value Investing, The Joys of Compounding. Previously, Gotham served as a portfolio manager at Summit Global Investments and SEC Registered Investment Advisor based in Salt Lake City, USA. Gotham is a CFA charter holder and member of CFA Institute, and in 2018 and 2019, he was profiled in Morningstar's Learn from the Masters series. Join me and Aljin as we talk to Gautam about his book, The Power of Compounding, and his journey so far. Hi, and welcome to the Successful Savita podcast. It's a huge honor to have you join us today. Thank you so much for being so generous with your time and spending time with us, me and Aljin today, uh, talking to us about all the questions that we have. So welcome aboard.
1: Thank you, Savita. It's a pleasure
0: yeah it's it's an honor and i want to go dive right into my first question for you because your a, the book has been fantastic your journey has been interesting so share with us what has your journey been like from kolkata india to salt lake city usa where did this passion for investing arise from
1: Sure. So I come from a Marwadi family in Kolkata, and uh, I'm the youngest of the four siblings in my family. Uh, My parents, my two elder sisters, and my elder brother, all of them live in Kolkata. And uh, as you very well know, we Marwadi community people in India have got entrepreneurship and business in our genes. So ever since my teenage years, I was always very fascinated by the concept of business and entrepreneurship, especially by the fact that once a solid foundation is established for a business, the owners do not work for money; rather, money works for them. I did my graduation in commerce with a specialization in accountancy, so pursuing higher studies in the field of finance seemed like a natural extension. So, I did my M.S. in finance from I.C.F.A. University, Hyderabad. I did my M.B.A. in finance from Nirma University, Ahmedabad, and later on, I also went on to obtain my charter from the C.F.A. Institute, U.S. And after my MBA program got completed in 2008, I was placed with Citibank in their Mumbai office as an investment banking analyst, where I worked for three years. And after that, I joined Deutsche Bank, uh, where I worked for four years as a senior analyst in their investment banking teams in their Mumbai, London, and Hong Kong offices. Now, as regards how did I get my start in the field of investing at the stock markets, as is typically the starting story of most investors. I was attracted to the stock market during the final euphoric phases of a bull market. In my case, it was the 2003 to 2007 bull market in India. I still remember I had invested in a mutual fund called Reliance Power Sector and Mutual Fund in late 2007 and a stock named Path Steel in January 2008, as both of them were in the hot and fancy sectors of power and steel at the time. And both of them had recently appreciated sharply in a very short span of time, when I first noticed them. So I just engaged in blind extrapolation of the recent price trends in them without paying any attention whatsoever to their valuations or underlying business models. Now, recency and vividness biases are very powerful but highly costly behavioral mistakes. Both those investments crashed 70 to 80% within 12 to 18 months of my purchase and had successfully gained admission into the stock markets by paying my tuition fees. Despite this bad initial experience, however, my curiosity and interest about the Indian stock markets always remained very high throughout the first seven years of my professional investment banking career. And one fine day, I came to the realization that we just have this one short life to live. And I did not want to waste any further time doing something that I was not truly passionate about, even though I was earning good money in the investment banking field, I was not really having the job satisfaction. And I was so keen for a career shift that I relocated to the U.S. in uh, mid-2015 without any job in hand. One of my relatives who lives in U.S., uh, he's an American citizen. He sponsored my green card. And I was under the impression that I will easily land a job in my desired profile in the stock markets within a short period of time since I was a CFA charter holder, And this particular degree is generally considered to be highly valued in the stock market industry. But as you very well know, uh, life is not a bed of roses for those trying to carve their own destiny. I got rejected in my first three stock market job interviews in the first six months of uh, living in the US, but I did not give up. I was very firm and adamant that I'm not going to go back to my previous field of investment banking, where the presence of perverse incentives constantly led to incentive cost, bias, and conflicts of interest and did not suit my personal nature. So I kept on declining all the investment banking job interview calls that came my way in the US, even though they would have had very high dollar salaries. At the same time, I ran out of whatever little money I'd brought with me from India. And to take care of my living expenses in US, I did not want to sell even a single share from my portfolio of Indian stocks, as I did not want to interrupt the process of compounding. So I took up a minimum wage job, As a front desk clerk at a hotel in San Francisco, where I used to work during the graveyard shift for the uninitiated, this is the shift that runs from 11pm at night to 7am in the morning. And even though it was a big struggle for me physically, emotionally, culturally and intellectually, today in hindsight, I highly value those days of my life because for the first time since the beginning of my professional career, I finally got some free time for myself to read and learn. And this was the phase during which my learning curve really took off from a tiny base. And little did I realize at the time that I was laying down these strong building blocks for compounding in my life. The pace of work during late night to early morning at the hotel was pretty slow. And I made full use of the free time to read every single article published on blogs like Safal Niveshak, Fundu Professor, Jhana WordPress, Basic Investing, and Microcap Club, among others and the passionate pursuit of lifelong learning had finally begun. Now, luck, chance, serendipity, and randomness have always played a big role in various aspects of my life till date. One fine night during November 2016, while working at the hotel, I randomly clicked on the quick apply button on a job application on LinkedIn during the course of my routine online job search. And I unexpectedly, I just unexpectedly received an interview call for the job and that too for a senior role in an investment firm, even though I had zero formal work experience in the stock market. And this was the phase in my life during which I was about to experience the power of compounding knowledge in action. You see, all those hundreds of hours which I'd spent during the previous year at the hotel reading those blog articles had now built a strong intellectual foundation for me in investing. And this is what I was lacking during my first six months when I gave those first three stock market job interviews in the U.S. And body language derives from self-confidence and self-confidence in turn derives from knowledge. I was offered the role of portfolio manager and it was like a dream come true for me because I never expected to land the role of a portfolio manager straight away. I thought I'll first get the role of a junior analyst, then work my way up to analyst, then senior analyst, then assistant portfolio manager, and finally portfolio manager, probably in 12 to 15 years. But when you keep on persisting, when you do not give up, compounding will bestow its magic and all its benefits upon you only after testing your patience and conviction to the fullest. So never give up after putting in all the hard work because the power of compounding is all backloaded. And here I would like to take a moment to talk about the power of passion. I still remember during those 15 months of working at the hotel, had. Every single night, I used to apply to a minimum of three stock market jobs online. So as you very well know, every time we take out the time to fill out the job, job application and uh, you know, attach a resume and uh, every single time we click the submit button, there is always so much hope attached behind every single submission. Over those 15 months, I had applied to more than 1300 jobs and did not get a call for any of those 1300 job applications. So. To face rejections more than 1,300 times and still keep on going is only and only possible if you are fiercely dedicated and passionate about what you want to do in life. So never give up. And resilience and perseverance are superpowers. Don't ever give up because you never know when you're going to make it big. So after I got the uh, job of portfolio manager with Summit Global Investments in Salt Lake City, USA, I worked there for four and a half years. And I left that organization in late July last year in 2021. And uh, I've started my own investment firm in India, uh, Stellar Wealth Partners Private Limited, which is a SEBI registered small case manager for investors in the Indian stock market. So this, in a nutshell, is my live summary, Savita
0: but that's such an amazing journey. I cannot, I mean, so many things I resonate with because I also bought that Reliance Power Stop. And I think your journey is very inspiring to be able to go have this conviction. that's, um, That's really an inspiring journey. Thank you for sharing that with us. But my next question for you is what led you to write um joys of compounding. Did you always know that you're going to write a book at some point? Um, or did this idea when when and how did this idea start? Why did you choose specifically compounding?
1: So my life epitomizes Isaac Newton's saying: if I have seen further, it is by standing upon the shoulders of giants. The joys of compounding is my heartfelt tribute to all my teachers who helped me achieve financial independence, become a better and wiser person. And embark on the path to a fulfilling and meaningful life and writing about and sharing my life's biggest learnings was my way of giving back to the investing community from whom I have gotten to learn so much over the years. We have to realize that our goodwill compounds when we share with others and we should act as a funnel of knowledge not a sponge. As Charlie Munger so beautifully put it the best thing a human being can do is to help another human being no more. In life the winners also lose occasionally but those who help others win can never lose. So, always help others rise. This is how goodwill compounds over time. The principles emphasized throughout the book power the lifelong compounding journey of a value investor. At the same time, the learnings are not restricted to only about investing. This is because compounding does not apply only to money, social and intellectual capital also compound. Investing in yourself, in your relationships, and in your understanding of the world pays massive dividends over time. This, in a sense, is the core message of the book, that the best investment you can make is an investment in yourself. All the great things in life come from compounding, and that is why I've written about compounding positive thoughts, compounding good health, compounding good habits, compounding wealth, compounding knowledge, and compounding goodwill. This is the reason why I decided to write about compounding.
0: Amazing. And it uh, hits on so many levels because as a coach, um, you know, we talk about life, mindset, learning, all of that. And, you know, it's very easy, like just before we started this interview sharing, I was thinking compounding, okay, another finance book maybe, but it is such a pleasant surprise to see that the first, literally your first chapter is about reading. And it reminded me so much about the fact that while reading is a very key pillar for me and it's literally part of my learning hour often that can take backseat when uh, life gets a little busy. So uh, I I mean, I really like how you applied the compounding to every area. And it's so true that when you look at it like that, it is, um, you know, it is true. Everything is about the power of compounding.
2: Well, thank you, Savita. So honestly, Gautam, I'm actually Thrilled actually because like more than 1300 job application that you actually filled up and like not just that, how you became like a portfolio manager after you compounded is just it's just inspiring. So like I had this one question for you, right? So well, I had this question ever since I read your book. So in your book, you talk about compounding in both le- in a in investing and in like a learning sense, right? So usually it's Either a personal development book or a wealth creation. What compelled you to combine both of them into like a single book?
1: Sure. So Warren Buffett has uh, very aptly said that the more you learn, the more you'll earn. And Charlie Munger has said, the game of life is the game of everlasting learning. And he has also said that those who keep learning will keep rising in life. Now, these to me were profound words, and I embrace them as a way of life. You see, the body is limited in ways that the mind is not. In fact, by the time most people are 40 years old, their bodies begin to deteriorate but there is no limit to the amount of growth and development that the mind can sustain. Reading keeps our mind alive and growing and that is why we should inculcate a healthy reading habit. Books are truly life-changing once you have developed the habit of reading every day while watching your every thought. The neural connections that compound through the effort will make you an entirely new person after a few years. Buffett and Munger estimate that they spend 80% of their day reading or thinking about what they have read. Therein lies the secret to becoming smarter. The way to achieve success in life is to learn constantly. Once when asked about the key to success, Buffett held up stacks of paper and said, read 500 pages like this every day. That's how knowledge works. It builds up like compound interest. And Albert Einstein had said, compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe. So what happens when you apply such an incredible power to knowledge building? You become a learning machine. Even after achieving such enormous success, Buffett still reads for many hours every day. And he often credits this good habit for much of his success in life. Reading allows him to learn the lessons of others. The more you read, the more you will build your mental repertoire. And incrementally, the knowledge you add to your stockpile will grow over time as it combines with everything new you put in there. This is compounding in action, and it works with knowledge in much the same way as it does with interest. Eventually, when faced with new, challenging, or ambiguous situations, you will be able to draw on this dynamic in a repository, or what Munger refers to as a lattice work of mental models. Now, what are mental models? Mental models are an explanation of how things work, what variables matter in a given situation, and how they interact with one another. Mental models are how we make sense of the world. This is the reason why this book talks about compounding in both the investing and a learning sense.
2: Okay, that that truly makes sense. Well, I, I was reading your book in the morning, and then I keep going through like certain chapters and stuff. So then I specifically read section 10 of your book today. So in that you speak about living life according to an inner scorecard. So could you please like expand on that?
1: The inner scorecard is the inner set of criteria and standards by which a person judges himself or herself. In contrast, the outer scorecard is an external comparative picture of self-worth predicated on the judgment of others. An outer scorecard, which most people have, asks, what will people think of me? Will they judge me by the way I dress or the way I look or the car I drive? But the inner scorecard, which is much more important, asks, am I doing the right thing? Am I treating people correctly? Is this working for me as an individual? If in your heart, you know who you really are and that the choice you made was absolutely right, then the criticism of others should be considered and analyzed to see whether it truly has any merit, but it should not be given permission to belittle what you're trying to achieve. Let your life be guided by internal principles, not external validation. Self-respect beats social approval every time. We are not perfect, nor should we pretend to be, but we should always endeavor to be the best version of ourselves.
2: Well, oh um, that's, that's really amazing. I'm truly inspired.
0: I think uh, for people at the back, uh, self-respect beats social validation is uh, so true, but it, our, our world is so crazy right now and everyone wants to be the next influencer online. So I think that's really a profound statement that you make. Moving on to investing, why do you think value investing philosophy has endured over decades? Now, almost 100 years, what makes it evergreen?
1: It's Very simple, Savita. The principle of buying something for less than what it is worth will never get old, right? And Phil Fisher had rightly said that the stock market is filled with individuals who know the price of everything, but the value of nothing. Price is known to everyone in the market, but value is understood by only a select few. Stock prices randomly fluctuate every day, sometimes wildly on either side, but the underlying business value changes very slowly. And therein lies the big opportunity for us as value investors. Focusing on what is moving is part of our evolutionary instincts. And this explains why market participants focus more on the volatile stock prices, which keep bobbing around up and down, rather than business values, which change quite slowly. Capitalizing on others' desire to avoid volatility is what makes value investing work. And as a renowned value investor, Joel Greenblatt, aptly put it, value investing works, but value investing does not work all the time. And that is why value investing works, because it requires patience.
0: And could you walk us, um, before we actually go into that, in your book, um, you speak about various psychological biases that prevent investors from making rational decisions, so true, including for people like me. Uh, Could you speak about an example where you avoided falling prey to bias and how it helped your decision-making?
1: Sure. So in my book, I've written about my investment in a stock named HEG Limited in India uh, during 2017, in which I'd made more than 270% returns in less than five months on a big allocation. It was a life-changing investment for me. um, A month after the date of my sale, I sold the stock uh, in February 2018. And just a month after the date of my sale, I came across a news report that graphite electrodes, which were the main product of HEG, they were being sold in the Indian market at an even higher price per metric ton, and that the supply situation in the industry was becoming even tighter. Now, when the facts change, change your mind, I immediately repurchased HEG, this time with half the percentage allocation that I I had at the time of my exit. And in one single go, I was able to conquer a host of personal biases that had affected me since the beginning of my investing career, namely anchoring bias, commitment and consistency bias, and status quo bias. I'll briefly elaborate on these three biases for the benefit of our audience. Anchoring bias simply means clinging on to a meaningless reference point, just because it is the first to come in front of us, and it's very easy to recap in memory, so that's called anchoring bias. but For all investors, the cost price which you pay for a stock should become irrelevant the moment you purchase it. After you purchase a stock, forget the cost price. because Otherwise, it will forever affect your investment judgment. So that's anchoring bias. Commitment and consistency bias means clinging on to previously publicly stated beliefs even though the situation has completely changed. And the idea is to look for the truth, not to be consistent. The idea is to just be rational and correct and directionally correct. The idea is not to be consistent because in a dynamic and ever-changing world, if you're not constantly changing and updating your mind and views, then you'll end up falling behind. So that's about commitment and consistency bias. And finally, status quo bias. This again comes from our evolutionary uh, genes. We humans are designed to conserve mental energy and conserve as much energy as possible. And that That's why... When We make a decision, we tend to stick on to it, so we tend to cl- cling on to bad investments, bad relationships, or a bad marriage or a bad decision, even though uh, moving on is the best possible choice to do, and that is because of something called the sunk cost fallacy. Basically, we don't, and that again is connected to one of the f- foundational behavioral biases of all humans, which is loss aversion. We just don't want to we are very, very averse to losses. And that's why we've succumbed to the sunk cost fallacy. But every decision every day should be based on that very moment and the future prospects not based on what costs have been incurred in the past, how much time, effort and energy has been spent in the past. So always think rationally, think in terms of the future, because ultimately, that is what you're working towards building a better future. So This is why the HEG investment will always be very special to me. It was a big step forward in my evolution towards rationality. I finally exited my second investment in HEG in August 2018 at a good profit, resulting in a compounded total profit of more than 350% on my initial invested capital in this company stock in less than 12 months. And all of this was possible only because I was able to demonstrate rationality and control my behavioral biases.
0: Amazing. I I love that you're able to do that. So many people struggle. And you know, everything that you shared about those biases is so true. But a lot of it, it takes time to kind of understand what's going wrong and people don't take time to figure out what they should be changing what they need to be evolving what should be next in their personal development so yeah thank you for sharing that it's just such a powerful reminder about how to you know not fall prey to your different biases that may exist that you don't even know that exists currently sometimes like what you hear so far make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now Stay tuned as we take a quick break, and we'll see you on the other side of the show.
2: So, well, I have a question for you, right? So, like, could you just walk us through, like, an example of a successful investment that you made without mentioning, without mentioning any specific names? So, like, using the analytical principles in your book, maybe? So, it'd be really beneficial.
1: Sure. So, traditionally, there have been three sources of edge for the individual investor. Number one, the information edge, but with the advent of the internet and widespread dissemination of information, the information edge is basically non-existent now. The second source of edge traditionally for the individual investor has that been of the analytical edge, but with more and more smart people entering the investing profession, even the analytical edge is fast getting compressed, but the one edge, which is the most durable and sustainable in my view, is that of behavior and temperament. And I've written about the same in elaborate detail in my book's chapter on delayed gratification. And implementing the principles from that chapter have have helped me achieve some of my biggest multi-baggers till date. And let me illustrate with the help of an example. During 2018 and 2019, the Indian automobile industry was struggling after the NBFC crisis. And an auto ancillary company named Rajaratan Global Wire was undergoing a massive capacity expansion. Since the entire sector was out of favor, the investors attention on this stock was low. But as soon as the company's capacity expansion got over in early 2020, and the earnings visibility went up post a recovery in the auto cycle, the stock of Rathan Global has given more than 1000% returns since April 2020, in the last two years itself. This is why Howard Marks has said, rule number one, most things will prove to be cyclical. And rule number two, some of the greatest opportunities for gain and loss come when other people forget rule number one.
2: Well, I have like an other question. So there are like certain finer nuances to individual position sizing. So like initial allocation plus subsequent pyramiding, basically. So which one gets to learn over time with experience in investing? So how has your experience been with this and how have you evolved your approach on this?
1: sure so i size individual allocations in my portfolio according to my evaluation of potential risk with the largest holdings having the lowest likelihood of permanent loss of capital coupled with above average return potential i initiate new positions with a minimum weighting of 3 to 5% and subsequently average upward if the management executes above my expectations individual position sizing is important not only for its impact on overall portfolio performance but also for once mental peace of mind, and I sell down to my sleeping point if an individual position becomes a discomfortingly large percentage of my portfolio value. One should always have bigger weights in businesses with high longevity, solid growth prospects, and disciplined capital allocators. As Mae West very aptly said, too much of a good thing can be wonderful. Yeah,
0: (laughs) but we always feel like too much of a good thing may not be great.
2: So your firm Stellar Wealth Partners specialized in like identifying emerging and fundamentally strong businesses based on varied perception and long-term structural trends. So could you like please elaborate on these two investment themes?
1: Sure. So uh, let me talk about varying perception first. Variant perception refers to having a differentiated view on the short to medium-term trajectory of a business, and it refers to situations where you get ROC expansion. ROC re- re- stands for return on capital employed. So in situations where the return on capital employed is expanding and earnings growth is coming, you get valuation re-rating and you end up with a multi-bagger stock. And there are various triggers for variant perception, including a product mix change in a higher margin category, a large capital expenditure, which in turn leads to operating leverage. Operating leverage refers to to situations where once your pre-production costs have been recovered and recouped, Then after that, the profit growth is much more faster than top-line growth. So that is operating leverage. Another trigger for variant perception is, is deleveraging because as debt, loans, and borrowings go down, interest costs go down, net profit goes up, market cap goes up. Another trigger for variant perception is an industry cycle shift. So since a good example here is the Indian residential real estate market since middle of 2020. After more than 10 years, the industry cycle has finally shifted for the better. And you've already had multiple big winners in the stock market from that particular industry coming. Another trigger for variant perception is that of improvement in asset turnover. And you can easily get this information from management conference calls, you can ask the management what is the expected turnover on the new fixed asset capacity. And we have to understand that return on capital employed expansion comes from two sources, margin expansion, and improvement in asset turnover and between the two I prefer improvement in asset turnover because high margins tend to attract competition. And we should always remember that competition acts like friction for value creation in the stock market. You want to look for areas where there's minimum or no competition. Another source for varying perception is that of corporate actions like demergers, merger arbitrage, promoter and management change, divestiture of uh, loss-making business segment or divestiture of a non-core business segment. All of these can lead to valuation valuation re-rating. And uh, coupled with earnings growth, you end up with multi-bagger returns. So these are all the various triggers for varying perception. Now let's talk about long-term structural trends. Long-term structural trends are found in industries with a favorable structure. They are organized like a monopoly or a duopoly or an oligopoly at best. They are experiencing some form of an industry tailwind. They are characterized by consistency and predictability of cash flows. They have a long runway for growth ahead. So you have high visibility for many years ahead. They are also characterized by value migration. So in India, we have had for the last few decades, value migration from offline to online, public to private, unorganized to organized. And there are multiple structural growth plays in India, including CDMO or Contract Development and Manufacturing Organization, CRAMS or Contract Research and Manufacturing Services, CSM, which is Custom Synthesis and Manufacturing, Then you also have structural growth growth plays in the form of specialty chemicals with critical application, affordable housing, FinTech, music streaming, financialization of savings, digital transformation, and cloud computing. So these are the two broad categories, variant perception and long-term structural trends, which we focus on at Stellar Wealth Partners for our clients, and we help them in their long-term wealth creation journey. Here, I would like to uh, share a very important principle of value creation in the stock market. There are two kinds of companies in the stock market one with low returns on capital employed, one with high returns on capital employed. In case of companies with low returns on capital employed, the maximum delta, the maximum rate of change, the maximum intrinsic value creation takes place when they focus on improving their returns on capital employed. And in case of companies having high returns on capital employed, the maximum delta, the maximum rate of change, the maximum intrinsic value creation takes place and they focus on improving their top-line growth. Variant perception helps you in the situations of companies with low returns on capital employed, moving to a higher return on capital employed. And long-term structural trends helps you invest in companies with high returns on capital employed, which are having high revenue growth, because they are in the industries which are themselves growing very rapidly. So once you imbibe these two fundamental truths of investing, these fundamental first principles of investing, you shall do very well as an investor in the stock market.
0: That's just, you delivered a masterclass just in this one response. And how can we all sign up to become, uh, you know, have you manage our portfolio? Uh, But yeah, thank you. Your answer is extremely detailed and extremely insightful.
2: Yeah, so like, I have like a question. So the person that you are, you read like a lot of books. So through all the books that you read and like the wisdom that you have actually uh got up in these three in so many years i would actually like to ask you this one question what are your top five book references or like recommendations for like people like us
0: if if you can pick five that is of course i'm sure it's hard
1: <laughs> no, I'm sure i'll i'll share three non-investing books and two investing books so for the non-investing books, uh, I would highly recommend uh, Poor Charlie's Almanac, e- edited by Pete Kaufman, More Than You Know by Michael Morbison, and uh, Seeking Wisdom by Peter Bevelin. These are three of the finest books on multidisciplinary thinking. And as far as investing books go, I would highly recommend Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits by Phil Fisher, and uh, One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. I think these five books are a must-read for all investors.
2: So like the next question is this. So. What's that habit that has helped you to stay focused and become successful over the years?
0: Other than reading. Sorry, other than reading.
1: (laughs) I think one very good habit which I've inculcated is keeping my mobile phone outside my room while reading or thinking because this helps me to develop a longer attention span and get deeper insights from the materials that I read. And another very good trait which I've developed over the years is being flexible and open-minded and opening myself up to diverse viewpoints. I think this is one of the single biggest attributes which has helped me grow a lot in life, because many people tend to just pigeonhole themselves into their own you know, uh, eco-chamber. But if you want to grow and be in sync with where the world is going, you have to keep on learning and adapting and learning from everyone. Uh, and that is the key to success, I believe, just being open-minded and just being flexible. Yeah, I think that's a good
2: one. That's a good point, yeah. Okay. All right, so we have another question. So v- what's coming up in the future? What do you think? What's your...
1: So right now I'm working on uh, setting up my India-focused hedge fund in America. Uh, I think the appro- regulatory approvals should come through very, very soon. So I'm very excited to bring the India investment opportunity to the investing community in America. It was a long-standing dream of mine to uh, just to run my own investment firm and own hedge fund in America. So I think that is the immediate thing on the anvil in the near term.
0: Awesome.
2: Okay. Any more books?
1: <laughs> not, not at the moment, no.
2: <laughs> that would have been an amazing spoiler, not going to lie. <laughs> well, so the next question is like, what was that piece of advice to those who are just getting, starting into investing? Like, what did you give them? was that advice that you give to people like me? <laughs>
1: So apart from reading as much as you can and being a learning machine, I would share, three, uh, I would share five pieces of advice for any uh, beginner in the stock market. Number one, stick to your circle of competence and only invest in businesses you can understand well and in which you can reasonably assess that they will be earning significantly higher profits many years from now. Sus- such businesses are usually less vulnerable to technological risk and they operate in stable industries with low rates of change. Number two, Embrace inactivity and devote most of your time to reading, learning, and improving your thinking. Low turnover leads to low frictional costs. And these few extra percentage points saved every year lead to very large absolute savings over long periods of time because of compounding. Point number three, create an investment checklist. Every investor should read Atul Gawande's The Checklist Manifesto and The Investment Checklist by Michael Schoen. Point number four. Maintain an investment journal which contains your original investment thesis at the time of making the purchase, as well as the rationale for making the sale. This is the most objective way to remain true to yourself and, more importantly, to continuously keep learning from your mistakes. And lastly, point number five focus on investing at reasonable valuations in low debt or no debt, cash flow generating businesses with high returns on equity and strong competitive advantages, which can grow for long periods of time with minimal or no equity dilution. So these are the five broad points I would share for every beginner in the stock market.
0: I, I have a follow-up question for you, Gautam. When you're saying at the start, at the beginning, when you invested in that stock, you wrote down, you're saying write down why you invested, what was your... Uh, thing. But doesn't that change over a period of time, especially when you're holding onto a stock? Um, why, why would you say that, Like, what's your advice, the reason for this piece of advice that you write down? Because that can change is is what I'm thinking.
1: Precisely. You just hit the nail on the head. That original, so many times what happens is we investors have a habit of crediting our genius, our brains for all successes and just, just shunning all the bad outcomes to bad luck. But maintaining an investment journal allows you to remain true to yourself because many times you'll realize that as an investor that, the original reasons for you why you bought the stock in the first place the reason why the stock became a success subsequently they, it became a success for all for completely new in, entirely new and different reasons i'll give you an example here so in uh, early 2012 many investors invested in a stock called ashray motors in india for their uh, commercial vehicle tie up and their, their commercial vehicle business but as we all know, it was the Royal Enfield bike franchise, which led to huge value creation for Royal Enfield from 2013 to 2018. So unless you were maintaining an investment journal, you would have basically mentally fooled yourself into thinking that, oh, I made the right decision to buy the stock because I knew that Royal Enfield was going to be a success. No, you had purchased that stock for its commercial vehicle business, not for its bike business. This is where maintaining an investment journal greatly helps you in remaining humble and in always acknowledging the role of luck, chance, serendipity, and randomness in life. And it. trust me, if you are not humble in the stock market, eventually the stock market will make you humble. So maintain an investment journal and just try to be true to yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah, by losing everything. <laughs> yes, by losing everything. Uh, like some people have been feeling the pinch in the last, you know, a month or so. Okay, next question is, of course, my favorite one.
2: So, like the same way Warren Buffett has burger and like cherry coke every day, what's that thing that you do in your life, like every single day? What's, what, what does a day in your life look like?
1: So, a large part of a typical work day is spent reading uh, newspapers, uh, Bombay Stock Exchange corporate announcements, earnings con, con- call transcripts, uh, magazines like uh, Forbes India, uh, Fortune India, and Outlook Business investing blogs, and random articles of interest on the internet, including white papers. And uh, I usually am done with all this work by 6pm on a daily basis. And after after an early dinner, I spend the time between 7pm and midnight, reading books, watching movies or any web series on Netflix or Amazon Prime, uh, listening to music, having phone conversations with my family, friends and peers. And... I think the best part about my daily life, which I am very happy about after achieving financial independence is just having the freedom and the flexibility to control my time and structuring my uh, day as I deem fit. And trust me, and believe me when I say this, that not having to wake up to an alarm clock anymore in life is one of the biggest luxuries one can have. And that is what I'm really enjoying in my life right now. So this control over my time is priceless.
0: Okay, I mean thank you for sharing that. This is my favorite question because I love knowing how everybody else's day looks like. But I think, Aljin, you may have to wake up to an alarm clock for a long time. Uh,
2: yeah, sadly. That's,
0: that's the sad uh, truth. But you know, you can get here someday. I mean,
2: but like, why did you like move to Salt Lake? Like, I get the first part, but then what pushed you to go to Salt Lake basically? Was there any like
1: so when I came to the u s in two thousand and fifteen for the first fifteen months, I was in San Francisco working on that minimum wage job, but I landed this portfolio manager job. Uh, it was based out of Salt Lake City, so that's why I shifted from San Francisco to Salt Lake City because of the job l- posting
2: so it's for this job basically like from Kolkata all the way to India, just just so that you can like get like
1: financial independence,
2: maybe something there More for you for sure
1: no, I've shifted. I was frankly earning good money in my investment banking job in India, but many people confuse having a higher salary income or having a high income with happiness. That's completely wrong. Ultimate happiness comes from living a life aligned with your personal value system. Since investment banking was not aligned with my value system, and one fine day I re- came to this realization that which I just have this one short life to live, and I want to work on the stock market side, and I, I'm a CFA charter holder. Why not try my luck in the in America and, and in the US? So that's why I. When I shifted to U.S. without any job in hand, I faced a lot of brickbats and criticism from many people. But I was very adamant that I'm going to try my best and I really want to do this. And eventually it all worked out much, much better than I expected. But it involved a lot of sacrifices and hardships along the way. But seriously, I don't regret any of that now because as long as you achieve and reach your destination,
2: uh, it's all fine. No pro- I have no regrets. I generally come twice a year, yeah, to meet my family and friends in Kolkata. I have another question. Okay, all right. Wow, last one. Okay, <laughs> so like, did your family members actually like help you to get into the stock market? Like, or do you like keep reading when you actually, which actually got you there?
1: And the family, To be honest, the family and friends were not initially not very supportive about my decision to leave a high-paying investment banking job in India and move to the US. Now, you know, no, but one, th- one more thing I've realized that once you're financially successful, then every, everyone aligns with you perfectly at the end. Once you are successful in life, but uh, initially you have to go through the pain, go through all the big brats and criticism. There's no easy way out. You have to just go, just yeah, believe in yourself and just go for it. Trust me. man. Just I think it sounds a bit dramatic and filmy at times, but listen to your heart because your heart often knows what you really want want in life. So just follow your heart. And Steve Jobs said, you know, everyone should listen to Steve Jobs' 2015, uh, 2005 Stanford commencement speech. It's a masterpiece. I, I listen to it every now and then for inspiration. It just keeps me going.
2: The last follow-up question, okay. So, like, when you actually were working that job, I mean, even though you didn't get a job back then, right? So, like, how many hours a day did you actually read, even though you had, like, a lot of things on your table and you actually, you know, you was pretty much busy, right? So, like. Just want to know. About, you're
1: talking about the hotel job for those 15 months? Yeah, basically.
2: Yeah.
1: I used to get at least at, at least a minimum of three to four hours of free time every night. So, uh, over those uh, 15 months, if you just add up, it adds up to a huge amount of time spent over those 15 months, four, three to four hours on a daily basis. There was a ton, tons and tons of reading. And I was just very, very happy. And many people could not understand how come I'm being so happy in a minimum wage job and struggling to survive in America. but and that to the grave, yes, yes. So it was a big, uh, you know, a fall in terms of professional, you know, uh, levels. But frankly, in terms of personal growth, it was possibly the best decision. In hindsight, it was the best decision I actually took because that is when my learning curve really took off from a tiny base.
0: Yeah, but at that time, didn't you? Did you feel like? Did you go through some like, what am I doing? Kind of thing, or you were like, okay, this is, we'll see. I'll take it one day at a time. What was your mindset at that?
1: Oh, it was very difficult. It, in California is possibly the most expensive state in the US and I was having minimum and I was getting minimum wages. I still remember there were many days during those fifteen months when I used to try to stretch the duration of basically I used to split my meals into you know small smaller portions to make them last each day. It was that, that bad. It was a very difficult time. And I also remember there was a you no know, couple of nights when I just used to fold my you know, just fold my face in my, you know, in the palm of my hand and just weep and cry and just think to myself, What have I done? I've just uh, destroyed my life. I used to have all these thoughts in the middle, but then I used to recoup and get over it and move on because ultimately it was, you know, it was just me fending for myself. There was no one to help me, right? I didn't know anyone in California and I was all by myself and there was no no one to help. In India, generally, you know, family, friends, everyone is, there's so many people around you to help you, right? In In any situation. Here, I was all, it was just me my passion and I still remember I used to live uh, in a PG in a, as a paying guest in a single ding- small dinghy room in, on the outskirts of San Francisco because that is all that I could afford at the time and I used to buy used books at a discount because that is all that, that I could afford to buy I could not even afford to buy new books that time but in hindsight today you know, after having achieved financial independence and made a lot of money I think recalling those experiences just helps me keep you know remain grounded I think that's very very important and people who keep come up the hard way You'll see most of them tend to go through life pretty successfully because they remain grounded and they do not just blow up their hardened wealth they learn to cherish frugality and prudence at all times so i think these are good virtues to have
0: yeah thank you gautam for sharing that with such like you would be so open and i can imagine i'm sure like i i would have definitely been the first one to think whatever i done so um Thank you so much. It's been, it's like having a masterclass. You're teaching us. You've been like somebody who sat down and given us your expert advice, and so it's been an honor to have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for your time, and I appreciate everything that you've done and your journey. Has been, and I'm sure will be inspiring. And I look, wish you all the best, and we be look forward to staying in touch, following your uh, journey, and hopefully taking away a lot of great advice uh, on investing and creating wealth for ourselves as well. Thank you so much.
1: Sure, Savita. Thank you so much. This was. A pleasure.
2: Yeah, thank you, Gautam. It's, it's really insightful, not gonna lie. I really enjoyed this conversation.
1: And for any feedback or queries, uh, people can uh, feel free to connect with me on thejoysofcompounding.com. And for people interested to join Stellar partners Partners Smallcase, they can uh, log into to I can also be reached on LinkedIn and Twitter, and readers can get their copy of the book on Amazon, Google Play Books, and Book Depository website. Thank you, uh, both of you, Aljin and Savita, and uh, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Botham.
1: Bye. Have a good day. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like this episode and you want more, you can go to the show notes on my website, which is successwithsavita.com forward slash podcast. If you like what you've heard so far, I would be grateful to you if you could leave me a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend who may find this useful. You can also follow me on my Instagram at successwithsavita and DM me any questions you may have and I will be happy to answer them for you. Until the next episode, believe in yourself and all the best to your success.